Let's get together, talk about the movies that we saw this week. We'll have discussions, talk film news, we'll laugh a lot and act like geeks. Sometimes we'll have a guest or two, sometimes it's just the two of us. Let's crack some jokes and tell some folks to come along and hang with us! Mike and Mike go to the movies. Mike and Mike go to the movies. Yeah! You have chosen wisely. Hello, my name Mike. <laughs> And this is podcast where I talk American movie films. Wow, wow, we wah. My wife, very nice, and so on, so forth. All the Borat jokes. We get it. Yeah, we get it. <laughs> we we heard them all back in 2006. We're hearing them all again now. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it's Mike. This is Michael. Mike, go to the movies. Uh, joining me as always is a man who asked that uh, when I bring him out. Can I introduce him as the ghost with the most, babe? <laughs> How are you doing, Mike? <laughs> Uh, I'm doing great. Great. It's an exciting day here for uh, Mike and Mike Good Times. We got plenty of discussions. We got some some uh, Mike Makes Mike Watch coming up at the end here. I think it'll be a good day. Yes, we do. Yeah, we're going to be talking about a lot of the stuff we've been watching recently. And yeah, we'll be picking stuff for next week for Mike Makes Mike Watch, which is always very exciting. I'm very curious to see uh, what your picks are. I feel like I kind of know what they're going to be, uh, at least a couple of them, just because like every time we do an episode and I mention, oh, I haven't seen this movie. You're like, oh, I'm going to write that one down. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't I'm, I'm kind of limited in the number of movies you haven't seen. So when I yeah. get one, I got to make sure <laughs> that is fair. That is fair. So, uh, yeah. What, what's been going on, Mike? What's what's life like for you over the last couple of weeks? Oh, it's the same as always. It's uh, like I said, I think last time I made the same joke. It's March 270th or yep, whatever the fuck. Definitely. Uh, same same deal, <laughs> uh, except uh, next the couple of days I have an interview to go on job interview. Nice. Because, uh, yeah, like I mentioned before, my company got acquired because uh, capitalism. So I sure. lost my job <laughs> so so here we go except i have to go the the interviews in person and the office position and position is like fully in person which uh you know maybe not the best thing to be having to do because quarantine because uh cases are spiking in i don't know 75 percent of the country or whatever <laughs> yeah. um so that's not great uh, but, you know, I guess we'll see what happens. So that's that's my life. What about you? Mike? Yeah, I'm good. I mean, at least you're in New York, which seems like it is like, you know, if if it does start to spike again, like I feel like it'll stand like they're going to lock everything down pretty quick again, like kind of like what they did before. Yeah. Uh, so there is that. So you could be working from home again. Who knows? But who knows <laughs> if, you yeah. get, if you get the job, which hopefully you do or you find something else that is equally uh, fitting your talents. Uh, Thanks, Mike. Yeah, no, uh, things have been good here. Uh, actually. Uh, today, I uh, found out that a coworker of mine uh, who, you know, I, I don't see that often at work, but like he's you know certainly there. He's kind of in his own studio because we're all in, ra- in radio and different studios and stuff. Right. Uh, a coworker of mine tested positive for COVID-19. Uh, and so now basically it's sort of reverted back to what happened back in March where I, me and like two or three other people in the building who had to do radio shows are now the only ones going into the building uh, for the next wow. for the next couple of weeks. Like we that's how it was back in March when everything shut down. Uh, and, you know, all the salespeople and stuff, they were all working from home. And a lot of other people like in the building were also working from home. Uh, and it was like just, you know, three people basically that were using the building. Uh, mm-hmm. And it was like that until like mid June when everyone kind of started to trickle slowly back in. Like And, and right. for the last couple of months, pretty much everybody's been back at the office. Uh, and now it's like completely like all that work has been completely undone, <laughs> yeah. which is wild. Uh, yeah, it's all it takes. Yeah, pretty much. Which if there's one thing we've learned in 2020, it's just how quickly things can change very, like very <laughs> abruptly. Uh, and so, yeah, that has been the thing. So that's kind of crazy. And, uh, you know, 
know, I haven't like it. It sounds like, you know, he was pretty isolated and it wasn't really around other people at the office. And he was only in like two days a week. Uh, so I've been told not to worry about it unless like a contact tracer calls me. So so right. there's that. Uh, so I got that going for me, which is nice. Uh, mm-hmm. Otherwise, we, we both voted this weekend. Uh, so yes, we did. That's good. Uh, and I've been fascinated to see the differences between New York and Montana voting. <laughs> Uh, this right. this current election cycle, uh, because I know you were online for what, like an hour and a half uh, trying to vote on Sunday. Yeah, yeah, it took it was a grand total, I think, like an hour and a half from like when we got online to till we were done. Uh, yeah. Which, you know, if I go on Election Day to my like regular typical polling place, it's 10 minutes. Like there's never a line, yeah. uh, <laughs> which is crazy. But it's exciting because that one, it means high turnout. And two, another thing, everyone lines look a whole lot bigger because everyone's spaced out. That's true. So like it was the entire parking lot, but it was, you know, if we crammed in like it was a Disney line, uh, it wouldn't be, uh, <laughs> wouldn't have been so crazy. Right. Um, but New York didn't have early voting till last year, which is wild. That is um, pretty wild, especially because in Montana, uh, early voting has been a thing for a while. And actually, uh, like the way it works in Montana, like anybody can early vote. Like, you know, there's no like you don't have to apply for an absentee ballot or anything. As far as I know, right. basically, like everybody who's a registered voter in Montana, as far as my understanding goes, just gets a ballot in the mail about three weeks in advance. Um, so like early October, we all got a ballot uh, and I filled mine out last week and I uh, just dropped it off at my local election center. It's a drive through drop off. You just kind of hand it to a guy and then you go. Uh, it took 10 seconds uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you know I, I know people in New York who are online for four plus hours uh, which, waiting to vote over the weekend uh, which is insanity and like no one should have to do that but I'm glad that people are basically yeah. uh, you know tr- just to get the turnout out there and go for it and especially I mean mo- the people that I know in New York who are online for that long they were in Fishkill New York which is a very small right. town <laughs> so it's it's kind of crazy that like that was four hours in Fishkill. Like that's, that's nuts. Uh, so I'm, it is encouraging to see that many people kind of turn out and like those big numbers and, uh, hopefully, you know, certain people can get voted out of office this, uh, this election. We'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah. yeah fuck Trump. Basically we can say it, Mike. We can oh yeah. Say yeah, it yeah. On this that's fair. I mean, we've said it many times over this. Over maybe, this maybe on the radio you can, but here on the that's podcast. That's true. Yeah, it is. It is. Fuck Trump. It, it, that's true. It is. Cause I, especially I'm on like a country station, uh, right. and things like that. It's just, it's one of those things like I have to like, cause even just the slightest thing that's like non-political like you can just say like hey uh this guy like you, you write like a news story about like COVID-19 uh and like you'll get 25 angry comments being like why are you talking about COVID-19 and not the flu uh right <laughs> and it's like because obviously this is what's in the news right now like what <laughs> like why are you upset about this uh yeah it, it is funny because like every every day our station um posts the new num- the, the new numbers for Montana basically like it kind of reports mm-hmm. on you know all the new cases throughout the state and in the city and uh, not only the new cases, but also just the, uh, any deaths that happened, any recoveries, all that stuff. Uh, and any time we post that article, which happens daily, uh, people comment on, on it and be like, why don't you post about uh, how many people have recovered from COVID-19? And it's like, actually, Jeez. we do. It's in the article. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> it's in the thing you're commenting on, actually. Uh- <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so it's a, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of, uh, you know, angry stuff. And I feel like, you know, even after the election, that's it's going to still be that it's going to be insanity after uh, no- uh, November 3rd. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not looking forward to what, whatever the fallout's going to be, but I hope mm-hmm. it's a, it's a positive change. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm very scared. And our, our uh, only hope I hesitate to say that, uh, but only hope is that uh, 
Biden has a obvious blowout on uh, election night. Right. Uh, otherwise, uh, buckle up, I guess. Yeah, it's going to be contested for months if it's cl- if it's even remotely close. Uh, it's going yeah. to be a repeat of the 2000 election all over again, uh, mm-hmm. which, you know, I was only seven when that happened. So but I, I, I still have memories of that and being like, this seems like it's taken a long time. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and I think t- today, I assume, as while we're recording this, Amy Comey Barrett or whatever the fuck her name is, uh, has been confirmed because that vote was today. Mm. Uh, so great, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Woo. It's eight days Ooh. before the election. You know, mm-hmm. there was the Merrick Garland thing, which was 200 plus days before the election. And they blocked that. But this isn't close too close, I guess. So whatever. Yeah. I don't know, it's all bullshit. But the important yeah. thing is there are movies to watch, Mike. <laughs> there are. Actually, go out and vote. Second, after yes. you're done voting, get home, watch a movie. Yes, absolutely. If you haven't if you haven't voted yet, go do that if you're able to. I know some states may not have early voting or whatever, right. things like that. But if you are able to vote, please do. It's it's very it, you'll feel good afterwards, especially, uh, you know, casting your vote and then you get to go home and watch a movie. It's very silly, but slapping that I voted early sticker on. You're like, yeah, I fucking did. Um, <laughs> which sucks here in, in my uh, district in New York. We don't get stickers on Election Day, which is bullshit. Um, yeah, we asked about <laughs> it and they're like, oh, it's just too expensive. The county won't do it, which is like, man, fuck off. That's crazy. Uh, but. But we get them early if you do. So I got the I voted early sticker. There so you go. That. That's good. My ballot in the mail came with an I voted sticker. Uh, Beautiful. Which was very great. My girlfriend's ballot did not. Uh, and she, <laughs> and she was very upset about it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there you go. So yeah, go vote. And then after you go vote, watch a movie or listen to this podcast about watching movies and maybe watch one of the movies that we talk about on this podcast. That would be the way to do it. Uh, So we're going to get into our discussions in just a minute. Before we do, I've got to tell you that all the theme songs you're going to hear this episode were created by Kyle Cullen, who you can reach for your own theme songs at Kyle's Podcast Themes at gmail.com. And our logo was designed by Jacob Honeycutt or at Jacob Honey on Twitter. If you ever want to contact us, respond to something we did in the show, you can email us over at MikeMikeGoToTheMovies at gmail.com. All right, let's do it. Let's get into our discussions from MikeMikeGoToTheMovies. Watch this. All right, it's time for our uh, discussions here on Mike and Mike Go to the Movies. And this is a movie that we were both looking forward to a lot. I think it premiered last weekend. It was like October 15th or whatever that it came out. It was and it premiered mm-hmm. on HBO. Uh, and then got released in HBO Max. I watched it on the Sunday it was on HBO Max. You watched it, I think, three times by then. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, of course, we're talking about uh, David Byrne's American Utopia. What if we could eliminate everything from the stage except the stuff we care about the most? Without cables or wires, what would be left? Well, it would be us and you. That's what the show is. Everybody's Everybody's uh, which is the filmed uh, production of David Byrne's Broadway show. David Byrne, of course, of the Talking Heads uh, and uh, one of the greatest concert films of all time. Stop making sense. This is sort of a spiritual sequel in some ways. Uh, to that uh, or it's just another David Byrne concert film whatever you want to call it but (laughs) but this one's directed by Spike Lee which is pretty cool and it's the Broadway show which I wanted to see 
but obviously couldn't because I was in Montana. And I believe they, right. had, they had actually planned a second run of the show before COVID-19 actually just shut down uh, all of Broadway. Wow, uh, which is a bummer. But I remember seeing like a like John John Mulaney hosted SNL and David Byrne was the musical guest back in March uh, mm-hmm. or maybe it was February, but it was like early 2020. Uh, and they and he had like the entire cast from the show, like coming out and do the musical numbers with him. And they, they were in a sketch together. And that was very cool and all that stuff. So the, David Byrne was like, you know, everywhere for a couple of months and then yeah. everything shut down. And now this movie is out on HBO max. Uh, so we're both big kind of talking heads fans, Mike, we're both big fans of stop mm-hmm. making sense. And uh, you're a fan of the talking heads. Uh, and yeah, you've watched this a million times. Yeah, basically I um, didn't know. I knew this was happening, like that this was being released, but I didn't know any details. And then on Saturday I was like flipping through the TV and I went to, I got to HBO and I saw that this was on and it was like halfway through uh, and I was like, oh, OK, well, I wanted to watch this. I'm going to go find it on demand. So like, I went and found it on demand and watched yeah. it, not knowing that it was like, I guess, was premiered, um, like had just come out. Yeah. So I watched it. And then um, my parents had gone away that day. They were like at a friend's like cabin or something. So they came back on Sunday and I was like, hey, like this the new David Byrne thing. Like you guys should watch it. And they were like, oh, yeah. So like then, then later that day, they like watched it and I like watched it with them. <laughs> so like 24 hours later, I was watching it again. Yeah. And then Sunday night, I was flipping through channels again and it was on and halfway through. And I was like, well, fuck it. I'm just going to watch it. So I just watched <laughs> it again, half like the second half of the thing. Um, so in a span of two days i watched it about two and a half times and uh yeah just like absolutely blown away it's amazing david byrne is a creative genius uh i don't know if he did the choreography but i'm sure he might have uh, sure. <laughs> like i i could believe it if he did uh because it's amazing and just the 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 concept that he talks about how like you know the thing people find most interesting to look at is is people so yeah. uh, we're just there's no there's no set. There's no nothing on stage. Everyone has uh, wireless mics and they're carrying uh, the instruments like the drummers. Like, you know, it's like a kind of like a marching band yeah. kind of thing. Uh, and they're just the only thing on stage. And it's beautiful and amazing. And the music is great. It's, it's David Byrne talking heads music. Yes. Um, done really, really cool. And the musicians are all amazing. And like Spike Lee, like. Uh, the first half or so, I, I forgot. I didn't n- think about it. Uh, but then there's a couple moments where I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. Spike Lee. Uh, yeah. There's, is in this. Per- yeah. You know, wh- when you're watching it, you're like, oh, this is a very cool. And like Spike Lee's a great director and it looks cool. And there's some cool flourishes and stuff here and there. Uh, and then towards the very end, they play a Janelle Monet song. And yeah, as soon as they start playing it, you're like, oh, this is why Spike Lee directed this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's uh, Hell You Talking About, I think, is the name of the song. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's kind of just like a protest song saying, yeah. It's a it's a, a, a list of like black people who have been killed by police essentially over right. over the years. Uh, and, and yeah. this was and this was filled back in March. This is even before George Floyd, Breonna Taylor and all that stuff. So they actually show them at the very end of the song too. They kind of throw their pictures in there, too. Yeah. And it starts cutting like as they're saying their names in the song, it cuts to like a family member holding the person's picture. Uh, yeah. And I was like, oh, this, they do this into five bloods. Yeah. <laughs> um, like when they talk about, you know, some a famous African-American in history, they 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 cut to them like the real life picture in the five bloods. Yeah. And that was when I was like, oh, right. Spike Lee's directed this. Um, <laughs> and it's awesome. Like, I, I love it. Uh, yeah. And it's just everything about this is amazing. And, and uh, I think it is up there with stop making sense. Yeah, I think so, too. And I, and I also think it's fascinating to watch now, especially. I mean, the show 
was, you know, running on Broadway before COVID-19, but so much of it is about human connection uh, and, yeah. you know, and stuff like that. Like, I think there's certain elements of the show that play differently because of COVID-19 than would have the, like with the performance of everybody's coming to my house specifically. Yeah. And they even play that kind of like sad cover of it over the credits. Uh, it's, you know, like there's that version and it's like, oh, man, this is. This hits differently now, you know? Yeah, I, th- I thought that was really interesting because he talks about that. They had like that choir uh, performer version of it earlier or something like that. Mm. And that's what they play over the credits. Uh, but too, then there's that moment right at the end. Right. So like he talks about uh, E Zimbra, I think, is the song. Yeah, that is uh, the lyrics are like a Dadaist poem from the 30s or something like that, that they put music to. And he does like a clip from some other Dada's poem from then. And they play it at the end over that. Like there's like that one shot of the audience member just like staring up at the like ceiling of the theater or whatever. Uh, and they play like the Ur Sonata or whatever the, the Dada's poem. I don't know. It's like really powerful. Um, and it's just like a weird 10 second moment at the end of this thing before the credits roll. Yeah. And it's just like, what the f- David Byrne? You're just amazing. <laughs> I love you. Yeah. Were you were you familiar with the album American Utopia? Because uh, he, he released the album like two years ago. Uh, and then this, no. bro- this Broadway show kind of came from that. Oh, OK. Yeah. No, I, I haven't really been like up on like the the modern david byrne releases i remember he yeah. did that saint vincent album and i think an album with brian eno recently or right like, you know in the last 15 years recently um <laughs> but yeah no i didn't listen to that but i do remember seeing this like tour and he talks about that that like there was a tour version of this yeah like a concert version uh before i guess with the, the for the album um no I, I didn't know that there was like an actual album oh, that, yeah. that makes a lot of sense <laughs> yes yeah it's it's like the solo album american utopia which i think was his first like solo album in like 10, 15 years or something like that. Uh, and it came out a couple of years ago. And then this Broadway show, I mean, there was like a touring version. Then it became a Broadway show uh, yeah. later. And he kind of de- uh, brought this band together and it's this huge multicultural band, which is very cool. Uh, people of all kinds of different walks of life and things like that. Uh, and the album, it's it's every song on the album, plus a, a few talking head songs kind of sprinkled throughout, uh, mm-hmm. which are really great. And, you know, especially, you know, I will never not get jazz when once in a lifetime uh, starts playing. Right? Like, Come just, on. It's so good. It's so great. Uh, and I love that. But I think my favorite performance in the show was burning down the house. And it really Ugh. it burned down the house. It was so good. <laughs> like, yeah. there, was, there was so much energy to it. It, which was great yeah that's the thing that that makes this uh so interesting too i think is you know having everyone just be like disconnected like everyone's can just run around the stage uh you know normally the drummer's got to be at the drum set and the key piano player's got to be at the piano or whatever yeah. uh but to have everyone just be uh wireless and can go anywhere and the choreography and the dancing is amazing and and the lighting and the and the like whatever metal chain thing they got as yeah. like the per- the perimeter of the stage is very cool and they kind of play with that a little bit like projecting like a tv screen sort of and shadow right. for blind uh which was very reminiscent of like the big suit i think yeah. and uh because there's like one spotlight at the front of the stage that makes their shadows gigantic on the back wall um which is really cool yeah it's american utopia man this is definitely going to be in the rotation especially now that it's on uh hbo max and i can kind of watch it whenever i want yeah there you go it's on hbo max and i guess it's been playing on hbo i didn't realize it was going to be on the actual channel uh to me like i guess i had only read that it was going to be an hbo max exclusive or whatever right uh, and it was the first like, exclusive that made me excited about hbo max i guess like i yeah <laughs> Like, like there's stuff on HBO Max that I'm like that I like watching because there's HBO things that I love. And I kind of wanted to watch an American Pickle, which I never did. Uh, you know, I've heard it's OK. Yeah, me neither. But uh, look, I, it's in the list. It's in our list because we share HBO Max. That's right. uh, <laughs> uh, Yeah, I'll eventually watch that at some point, maybe, I guess. Uh, but like American Utopia was like, oh, shit, this is 
very cool. And they're also they got a new Steven Soderbergh movie coming out, uh, I think, by the end of this year. Uh, so I'm looking forward to watching that as well. But uh, yeah, American Utopia, David Byrne, who's such a energetic, dynamic performer and so great in this. Also, one of the dancers looks like Matt Walsh from Veep, uh, which <laughs> <laughs> like exactly like him. And it's really weird. <laughs> How do you know it's not? It could be just Matt Walsh with makeup on. It could Maybe. be him. Who knows? Possibly. But it could be. Uh, but there you go. That's American Utopia, which is on HBO Max. Highly recommended uh, by this podcast. Definitely a really cool concert yeah. film. Uh, so that's awesome. Mike, what else have you been watching? Uh, real quick, too. I'll throw in the uh, David Byrne has like the best TED talk ever on how architecture affects uh, music writing. Okay. So go, go find that if you've never seen it. It's like a 10 minute thing. Uh, it's really interesting. Um, and ever since then, I was like, actually, David Byrne might be a genius because um, <laughs> it's really cool. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, my other next discussion, I guess I'll do is uh, The Haunting of Hill House. All from right. Netflix. And uh, this came out in 2018. Uh, I've discovered that I'm two years late on a thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which I was uh, only one year late on The Haunting of Hill House. So I feel superior to you in some ways. Yes, you beat me. Um, <laughs> Yeah, this is a Mike Flanagan directed 10 episode miniseries kind of thing. There's the new one, Haunting of Bly Manor. Right. uh, Which is from the same team and a lot of the couple of the same actors and stuff like American Horror Story situation. And uh, I saw a lot of buzz about that. And like a couple of friends in the group chat were talking about it. And one of them, one friend hadn't seen it, uh, hadn't seen Hill House either. And he was like, do I need to watch it? And they were like, no, it's you know, you can, but it's really good. So like I suggest you do it. So I was like, ah, fuck it. I want to do it. So I watched the first episode. Yeah. And it was really good. And it was spooky and creepy and, and had the secret ghosts, which I knew about. So I was looking for them and I was freaked out. Yeah. And then I think the next day uh, we were I was in my friends and I also have a discord uh, server where like, you know, everybody's working from home. So like. Every now and then people like pop in and hang out and like, oh, you know, so we're just be like on voice chat while we're all working and stuff. And uh, you can screen share in Discord. So I was talking about to my friend, like, oh, I think I'm going to watch some more Hill House. And he was like, let's do it. So we screen shared <laughs> and we watched nine episodes. So you watched the rest of the show. The whole rest of the show. Yeah. We started at like 11 a.m. and we just watched the whole nine Man. episodes. And um God damn, what an that was wild. That was very yeah. intense and very scary. And uh yeah, I mean emotional. I didn't I didn't realize it was so uh like a melodrama. Like it's like an it's about like this family yeah. and the trauma and what they've been through and like their relationships. I thought it was just like ooky spooky ghost stories, which <laughs> right. it definitely is. Definitely has a lot of that. Yeah. But it's it's more about the relationships and what these these siblings and parents yeah. have been through. I think it's similar uh, to uh, to Crimson Peak, which, uh, you know, when, when that was coming out, everybody was like, oh, it's not really a horror movie. It's a gothic romance. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think Haunted Hill House also kind of fits that bill a little bit. It's it's mm-hmm. gothic. It's spooky. Um, but it's it's it fits that kind of like, you know, sort of romantic uh, melodramatic uh, aspects of it, too. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it got me it got me, gave me that Flanagan itch, man. Like I have yeah. been sleeping on Flanagan for a while. I've seen some of his stuff, but uh, you've been doctor. You've been week. doctor sleeping on Flanagan for a while. I've been doctor Sorry. sleeping. Uh, <laughs> good catch. Good job. I've been doctor sleeping on Mike Flanagan. And uh, I guess I'm a Flana fan now. Um, I've been telling you to be a Flana fan for a very long time. <laughs> very long. Yeah. You've had you have the power. You have the power to make Mike watch movies. Mike. That's true. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, I mean, like the episode, the, the bent neck lady. I think it's five or six. Uh, yeah, I think it's five, which is uh, just like wow. Yeah, uh, easily, easily the high point of the show for me. That was like I, I was completely blown away by the ending of that episode. Yeah, uh, holy it was shit. fucking wild. Uh, and then the episode right after that too is the uh, is the one where it's like almost it's almost entirely looking as if it's done in one take. 
Yeah. Uh, and that one was really cool. And I like that one a lot. And that one's also really scary. Uh, mm-hmm. And there's like just moments where the camera will pan over because it's all done in one take and you'll see a ghost like in the corner of the room, yeah. but it's just standing there and you move around. And we just great. keep going. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I looked up a bunch of stuff that 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 I think they said it's I think it's four shots for like I think you said it's like 58 minutes, 52. Except Mike Flanagan wrote like an article about it. Yeah, it's like 58 minutes, 52 of which are comprised of these four shots. That's incredible, uh, which is wild. Yeah. Like just all sing. I think it's like, you know, 16, 12, 7 and 12 again or yeah. whatever it is. I forget. Especially this transitioning from like the present day to past also. Like it's integrating yeah. the flashbacks into the one take thing. It's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And that was fascinating. Like I, I forget, like find that article or I think it might have been a tweet thread or something where Flanagan talks about like they had to build the soundstage with that episode in mind because they were going to their transition between the two time periods. So like the funeral home and the mansion have to be next to each other on a, a single stage so they can walk between sets yeah. uh, in these single take shots. Uh, so it's really cool. And some of my friends were like, this is a gimmick. I don't get it. And I was like, what the fuck is, you guys are dumb. Um, Cause I mean, like, I guess on one level, anytime there's a very long single take thing, it becomes just about like, we did a single take, uh, you know, yeah. kind of like 1917 and stuff. <laughs> But like, I fall for it. It works. Yeah, uh, it gets I, me fucking jazzed. Yeah, I'm usually super into the single take thing. Even like sometimes it's egregious. Sometimes it's like, okay, you probably didn't need to do do it this way or whatever. But like, it always looks cool. Like it, yeah. it always looks awesome. That that single take hallway fight in season one of Daredevil. It's fucking yeah, dope. Sure. Yeah. The rest of the show, not great. But that single take <laughs> hallway fight. I mean, I know you were into Daredevil when that. Uh, yeah. yeah. Season that, one was really good. I've I've cooled on Daredevil and Marvel in general, but Daredevil and the Netflix <laughs> shows specifically. Uh, I remember really liking. I thought the first season of Daredevil was okay, I guess. Uh, And I really liked the first season of Jessica Jones. I remember liking that a lot. And then there was the second season of Daredevil, which I thought was pretty bad. Or or no, the first four episodes were really good. That was the stuff with the Punisher. And then and then after that, it got really bad. Uh, And then Luke Cage came out, which was okay for a while. And then they killed off Mahershala Ali's character halfway through and it became bad. Right. Uh, And then Iron Fist came out and it got terrible reviews. I never watched it and I never watched any of the other Marvel shows, Netflix shows ever again. (laughs) That's the exact same thing with me. I didn't watch Iron Fist and then I didn't watch The Punisher and then I didn't watch Defenders and I was like, I don't give a shit. Yeah. Once Uh, I could, once I, because I I wanted to watch The Defenders, but like I needed to watch Iron Fist first because I'm a completionist like that, but I couldn't get myself to start Iron Fist. (laughs) So, so like imagine if like the Avengers came out and like mm-hmm. I like I had seen all the Marvel movies up to that point. But if like one movie had come out that had gotten like like a Thor came out and it got like a 20 in Rotten Tomatoes and like yeah. nobody and nobody liked it. And it was one of the worst movies uh, like I would imagine, like just not wanting to see Thor and being like, well, I guess I'm not seeing this Avengers movie. And then yep. <laughs> that's it. I guess that's over. Um, yeah. So uh, I plan to watch Bly Manor at some point, I guess, in two <laughs> oh, years. Oh, yeah. Speaking of Bly Manor and Haunting of Hill House. <laughs> Speaking of Hill House, uh, Netflix originals. Yes. Uh, one day I'll watch Bly Manor. Uh, you know, I'm sure it's dope, but I you, I learned last week from you that it's not all Mike Flanagan. So I, I believe. I guess I'm out. Yeah, I think it's the first two episodes of Mike Flanagan and he's still a creative producer on the show. And yeah. He's still involved, uh, but I don't think he directed every episode of the show this time uh, because he's working on a different Netflix series, uh, I think, where he's also directing every episode of that. Uh, <laughs> so he's like Mike Flanagan's an awesome director and has has become like one of the really great horror directors of the last few years. And he's just been pumping out stuff like every year. There's a new Mike Flanagan project, which is pretty awesome. Uh, I think actually this year might be the first one in a while where we don't have, I mean, there's blind manor, which has the first two episodes of that are directed by Flanagan, but otherwise like 
I think like because last year we had Dr. Sleep. 2018, we had Hill House. 2017 was Gerald's Game. 2016 was Ouija 2 and Hush and all right. this stuff. Like he's been working nonstop for a while, uh, which has been pretty cool. And he's always like every one of those movies and shows has been awesome. Uh, so I guess uh, stay tuned for more Flanagan news. Uh, or you can just um, since we're talking about Flanagan now, might as well just lump <clears throat> Hush in there. The we'll throw- just lump <laughs> Hush in there. Yeah, I watched yeah. Hush, which is uh, another movie that you've been telling me to watch for years. Yeah. And, um, and I did <laughs> finally after <laughs> after watching uh, Hill House uh, and it stars uh, Kate Siegel, I think is her name. Yeah, so, uh, I think she's married to Mike Flanagan. And, yeah, uh, I believe she's in she's in like all of his movies and projects and stuff. She's in Haunting of Hill House also. She's like one of right. the sisters, I think. Yeah, she's Theo in Hill House. Um, yeah. And I think she's in Bly Manor, too. But yeah, so she's the main the star of this movie. And, and the, the plot is uh, she's a author who's like kind of secluded herself in this kind of, you know, house in the woods and she's got an extra neighbor that pops up in the beginning and stuff um yeah but she's deaf is like the i don't want to say twist but the the device uh however you want to use right. it uh because this is a home invasion movie where this masked killer shows up uh and he's like tapping on the window with the knife and he's killing the next door neighbor and stuff like at the doorway and shit and she's yeah. screaming but uh kate siegel the character has her back to the door and she's deaf so she doesn't know what's happening yeah uh, and it becomes this like torture head game thing between the killer uh, who's played by the guy that was in Clover- 10 Cloverfield Lane, but I forget his, the actor's name. Oh, uh, John Gallagher Jr. I think is John Gallagher Jr. Yeah. He yeah, was also awesome. The, yeah. He was on the newsroom also. Uh, he's, Oh yeah. He's, he's the right. Jim, he's the Jim Halpert of the, of the newsroom. Yes, I absolutely. <laughs> I think his character uh, is actually named Jim on the newsroom. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Um, yeah. And he's like the mass killer guy and it's, it's really intense and, and like, uh, twisted and shit and there's like this the kind of um you know in the first 20 minutes when it's like all getting set up and stuff and uh he's get, i forget i forget how he gets in but he gets in the house i think the door is open for the cat to come in or something yeah uh but she's like at her computer like you know typing away trying to write her book but she has no idea he's there and then she gets like a, a facetime call so like the, the webcam pops up and like he's in the background like it's like this whole quick thing that like yeah you know, suddenly she can see behind her and stuff and he's sending her pictures with her own phone of herself and shit. Yeah. And I mean, it's really intense and it's got the like Flanagan tense, like tension. I don't know. He's really good at suspense and tension. Yeah. And not like outright horror images, if that makes a lot of sense. I don't know how to describe that exactly. Okay. Uh, But he's really good at like atmosphere. Maybe I guess is how I put it. So yeah, and this is on Netflix too. Uh, so definitely big recommend for the you know the final week of spooky season. Throw Hush in the rotation if you got an open week, open day. Yeah, yeah. This is the movie that uh, that really made me take notice of Mike Flanagan actually, because before this I had seen Oculus, uh, which I had heard was really good, uh, and I didn't really give it a chance because I was hammered when I watched <laughs> <laughs> Oculus. Uh, for what, like my roommate put it on or whatever at the time, and you know we watched Oculus, and it was like ah whatever, this is silly, this is stupid, whatever. Uh, so I do want to rewatch Oculus at some point. I think I've been talking about that like ever since I started talking about Mike Flanagan on this podcast. Like one day yeah. I'm gonna go rewatch Oculus, uh, and I haven't done that yet. Uh, but then Hush was a Netflix original in 2016, uh, and I heard it was very good. And it was one of the first like Netflix original movies that I had heard was really good too. Like this was like. Mm. This was like, you know, Netflix is like 2015 was Beast of No Nation, right? That was kind of their like push yeah. to being like, oh, we can be an Oscar player now with this one movie with Idris Elba. We're going to change the world. Uh, and it didn't really get much traction. It's a it's a decent movie, but it's not great. Uh, I think Stranger and, Things was 2015, too, right? 
that was 2016 also, I think, actually. Oh, okay. Uh, I think, like yeah, that. somewhere um, in there. Yeah, but that was a TV show. Uh, and right. th- there had already been a couple of like hit Netflix shows, like House of Cards, Orange is the New Black, and right. the rest of development had happened and stuff like that. Uh, but with like the original movies, like it's been interesting to watch like their rise over the last couple of years, where it's like, oh, now like their movies get nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars. Uh, right. with, uh, with like The Irishman last year, and uh, Marriage Story, and Roma, uh, and mm-hmm. stuff. And now half of the movies that got released in 2020 were through Netflix, because there were no movie theaters and so the studios had to sell off a lot of their movies yeah. uh speaking of i have one of those coming up in a bit uh but Stay tuned. uh yeah so hush was like one of the first netflix original movies that i really like took notice of and watched and really liked uh and then that same year he made ouija origin of evil which is a movie that i was not excited about because i <laughs> i watched the first half hour of the first ouija and had to turn it off it was terrible it was an un, wow. un, unwatchable mess uh and then ouija origin of evil rules <laughs> it's so good <laughs> Uh, and that, that movie's great. And then from there, like after like the one, two punch of hush and Ouija, I was like, okay, I got to pay attention to my plan again. And then he made Gerald's game the next year, which was also a Netflix thing. And then Hill house and Dr. Sleep. And he's been on a roll since then. So, uh, yeah, definitely, uh, watch hush. If you haven't seen hush, it's really good. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Stay, I guess, uh, this is now a Flanagan Stan fl- Flanistan, uh, podcast. You're a Stan, a fan. <laughs> Stan fan. Yes. Stan again. We did it. Stan again. Mike Stan yes. <laughs> Mike Stan I like it. Uh, all right. So that's the Mike Flanagan stuff with Hill House and Hush. Uh, I want to talk about a couple of new releases. Uh, first of which is a movie that uh, came out uh, last weekend. Uh, it's the new movie written and directed by Aaron Sorkin, and it's on Netflix. It is The Trial of the Chicago 7. I'd like to clarify something for the jurors. There are two Hoffmans in this courtroom. The defendant... Abby Hoffman and myself, Judge Julius Hoffman. Thank you, sir. I didn't want there to be confusion on the matter. Man, I don't think there's much chance they're gonna mix us up. (laughs) You will address this court as judge or your honor, and you will not address this court until... You will not address this court. The defendants would tell you they represent three different groups. And the record should reflect that defendant Hoffman and I are not related. Father, no. Mr. Hoffman, are you familiar with contempt of court? It's practically a religion for me, sir. And I think this this is a really interesting movie. It's about the uh, 1968 Democratic National Convention and the uh, protests and the police violence that sort of erupted into riots uh, in Chicago and the trial that took place afterwards. Uh, And this is the kind of thing that Aaron Sorkin writes really well. Just people in a courtroom talking really fast at each other and having quips and, you know, yelling and all that stuff. It's very good Aaron Sorkin dialogue. I really like this movie. Uh, I think its politics are a little bit more centrist than it should be like this is a pretty liberal group that it's about. And, uh, you know, especially with Sasha Baron Cohen playing Abby Hoffman, it's like one of those things where like, oh, he should be like a total anarchist. And he's really not uh, in, yeah. in, in this movie as it's portrayed. Uh, but it's a fairly fictionalized version. It's a very Hollywoodized version of this story. Uh, so if you're averse to that, then sorry. But if you're into like Aaron Sorkin stuff. It's pretty good. It's it's fun times. Really great ensemble cast uh, with Sasha Baron Cohen, as I mentioned, playing Abby Hoffman, Uh, Eddie Redmayne playing uh, Tom. 
I forget his last name, uh, Tom something, the guy who was married to Jane Fonda for many years, uh, <laughs> who was also a political activist and things like that. Eddie Redmayne and Sasha Baron Cohen, and then uh, Mark Rylance as their lawyer, who's amazing. Uh, Yahya Abdul-Mateen II, uh, who's the leader of the Black Panthers in this movie, uh, who's also kind of implicated with the Chicago 7. Uh, and he's great. He kind of gets written out of the movie about halfway through, which kind of sucks because he is really, really good. Uh, I mean, it's just like the way it actually happened in real life, but it is yeah. just one of those things where it's like, huh, it's weird that like there's a lot of focus on this character for the first half, and then he's just just gone <laughs> for, the, for the rest of it. Like there's never a scene where it follows up on what he's doing, you know? Yeah. Uh, so great ensemble cast doing some really good Aaron Sorkin dialogue. Uh, and I really enjoyed watching it. I think this will be nominated for best picture at the Oscars. It's the kind of thing that the Academy really eats up. Uh, just, mm-hmm. you know, the big ensemble with a lot of big names and, you know, powerful writer director behind it. And this is only Aaron Sorkin's second film as a director. Uh, he directed Molly's game a couple years ago, which I also really liked. Uh, and, you know, I, I think Aaron Sorkin's a really interesting writer because like, there's a lot of stuff that he does that's not, he's not very good at, you know, but like, yeah. like, like I watched all three seasons of the newsroom, which I mentioned before with uh, John Gallagher Jr. Uh, right. And the newsroom, I wouldn't qualify that as a really good show, but it had moments of really good stuff in it. Like there's some really great stuff within the newsroom. You just got to get through like some bad stuff to get <laughs> to get yeah. to it. Uh, and it's really funny watching like clips of that or Studio 60, like out of context. Uh, Studio 60 was like the show that he made about like the behind the scenes of a sketch comedy show, which only lasted one season. Watching scenes from those shows out of context because they are insane and ridiculous. Like, and there's been like, I follow some people who like, uh, Emily Vanderwerf has been like tweeting stuff from studio 60 recently. And I've been watching clips from that and being like, man, I can't believe this show existed. (laughs) I can't believe this was on network television. Uh, and so, you know, I used to watch the newsroom and stuff, but like when Aaron Sorkin is on, he's on. And I think, when he's paired with a really strong director, it really works, especially, I mean, the social network, right. one of my favorite, one of my favorite movies of the decade. It's incredible. Uh, recently celebrated its 10th anniversary. Uh, and it's, you know, obviously it's Sorkin's dialogue, which adds a lot to it, but it's also David Fincher directing and David Fincher made the choice to like basically speed up the dialogue and like not have a four hour movie and just like have everybody like talk at this like breakneck pace. I love that in the social network. That's, that, that to me is the best thing Sorkin's done that I've seen. And I haven't like watched the West Wing or anything like that. Like I haven't seen like, like yeah. that's a seven season show and it's you know it's a big it, that's a big blind spot for me i guess but one one day i'll get there it also feels like a show that i don't really want to watch right now like it just no. <laughs> it's not like like that that feels like a very idealistic version of uh, the american presidency and obviously i'm not in the mood for that so <laughs> <laughs> i need something more cynical right now that's uh, right basically uh but i did really enjoy the trial of chicago seven i think it's a good group it's a good screenplay from sorkin uh i think sorkin's a competent director i think molly's game is better uh, which has a really great performance from Jessica Chastain in it and Idris Elba. And uh, that's a really solid take, like kind of sort of a Hollywood satire too. And all that stuff. This is a more traditional Hollywood movie, uh, but it does it really well. So the trial of Chicago seven is on Netflix right now. And I'd recommend it if you want to check it out. I, th- I think it's a good like family night movie. Uh, and it does like parallel a lot of the stuff that's happening today in really interesting ways. Uh, okay. So there's that. Uh, but speaking of uh, the satire that we really need right now, not really the trial of Chicago seven. I'm talking Borat subsequent movie film. <laughs> <laughs> Just Sasha Bear. This is a, also a Mike Flanagan. Stanagan. When I say it's, Stanagan. Yes. Uh, Mike, Mike Stanagan, Stana Baron, Sasha Baron Costan. Uh, <laughs> yeah, sure. Let's go with that one. Is that, that, that the one? We'll go with that. Sasha yeah. Baron Costan podcast. I have a baby inside me mm-hmm. and I want to take it out of me. Mm-hmm. Right. She wants it out now, please. Right. I Can know. you take it out? No, we cannot. What you say, take it out. Yes. You end that life. 
that, that life will die. Well, it's already dead. It's not living. No. It is a living, breathing life that God has created. I don't think he's breathing. We can show you that it's breathing. I feel bad because I was the one who put the baby in her. You don't need to feel bad. I was just trying to give my daughter pleasure, and next thing I know, there is a baby inside her. Mm -hmm. You keep calling her your daughter. Yes. Okay. Is he your father? Yes. This yes. is your daughter. Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Borat 2 came out this weekend on uh, Amazon Prime Video. And uh, I can't believe this movie exists. I, gen <laughs> I genuinely can't That's believe right. that we have a Borat sequel in 2020. I think partially because I never thought they could make a Borat sequel, you know? Right. Because, because Borat was such a phenomenon in 2006. And the entire conceit of Borat was that people didn't know who Borat was. So he can kind of get away with things and like just kind of show up and like, you know, pretend to be an interviewer and like, you know, kind of like clown on people. And that was the plot of the movie. And once Borat was such a huge success, or a great success, as Borat would put it, <laughs> once it was such a huge thing, it's like, well, you can't do Borat again. It's almost the opposite of like every other movie franchise or movies right. because once any other movie becomes a big hit it's like oh how do we do this movie again do a sequel to this with Borat it's like you can because everybody knows who Borat is it's it's impossible right. uh, and so I remember at the time Sasha Baron Cohen made Bruno a couple years after Borat uh, which I saw in the theater and I uh, haven't seen since but I really liked it at the time uh, I remember I remember it not getting the reception that Borat did like it, yeah. it was not it was not as positive of a thing but I liked it at the time uh, and then he made The Dictator and you know he's been kind of just popping up in supporting roles and things and he's great in the trial of Chicago seven, by the way. Uh, nice. But but he's even better in Borat. Uh, he's, he's just right back into the Borat mold with Borat, two, which he shot in secret over the course of this year uh, and was not planning on a covid-19 pandemic to uh, to derail things. But uh, so this was filming before covid. Uh, mm -hmm. And there's actually stuff in the movie that was like filming like there's stuff that, uh, you know, Sasha Baron Cohen, like disrupted a Mike Pence rally at one point. Uh, and this was back in like February, maybe. And so at the rally, he's talking about like, oh, well, we, there's only like two cases of the virus in the United wow. States and that kind of thing. And, you know, all that stuff. And so as the movie goes on, like COVID happens and it, like that in, it weaves that into the plot of the movie in a really interesting way. And it's a great twist at the end, which I won't spoil. But, yeah, it deals with the current climate. Uh, really interestingly, and it's not as fresh as the original Borat, which I also rewatched the first one this past week to prepare for Borat too. you know, uh, mm -hmm. and I realized that I don't think I'd actually seen all of Borat. Like, <laughs> um, really? Yeah. Well, because I was 13 when Borat came out uh, and it was very much a movie that my mom would not let me watch right. uh, <laughs> for good reason. Watching it again. I, I think I had seen like bits and pieces of it here and there. I remember it was nominated for like best screenplay at the Oscars uh, yeah. and that kind of thing. Like it was that huge of a movie where it like crossed over into like Oscar recognition, uh, which is insane. But uh, yeah, so yeah, I couldn't watch it at the time. So I saw it in like bits and pieces here and there. But like watching it again, I was like, huh, I don't think I've ever actually sat down and watched Borat like all the way through. <laughs> I guess wow. it was just one of those things I was like culturally aware of enough where I was like, you know, I know my wife jokes. I got it. I got uh, it. <laughs> Uh, and there's some incredible stuff in Borat. The, the naked hotel fight is, <laughs> yeah. is, is an all timer. It's great. It's it's amazing. Uh, and I feel like with Borat, too, there's a greater sense that a lot of the people are in on the joke of Borat's, you know, like mm. with and there's a way that it kind of develops the plot along and stuff like that. Uh, but then there are others who are definitely not. Uh, and especially there was the stuff this past weekend where it was revealed that Rudy Giuliani had a pretty major scene in Borat, too. Uh, it's kind yeah. of the it's kind of the climax of the movie, actually. And uh, it's it's actually been really funny to watch Rudy Giuliani reacting to it because he's acting as if Borat's a real person. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> 
he like has no idea that Sasha Baron Cohen is the guy who plays Borat, uh, which is really great. Uh, were you a fan of Borat, Mike, like back in the day, like in 2006 or whatever? I mean, yeah, as a sophomore in high school or whatever I was when that movie came out or eighth grade, maybe uh, like, yeah, of course, like everybody who who wasn't yelling around, the running around saying very nice uh, and doing all <laughs> yeah. that shit. But yeah, I remember I do remember at the time, like how it is just like an absolute like skewering of like Bush era, like yeah. war in the Middle East uh, shit. And like when he goes to the rodeo, I remember and he's singing like the. Is he doing the American national anthem? He's, he's, he's singing the Kazakhstan national anthem That's to it. the tune of the American national anthem. That's what it is. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like <laughs> and he's all anti-Semitic like, and stuff. Yeah. He's saying like, we very much, and we very much support your war of terror and right. <laughs> that kind of thing. And like, we hope that you kill all of the Iraqis, the men, the women, the children and all that stuff. And like people in the audience are like screaming like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then of course, culturally, all we take away is my wife. Um, right. Exactly. <laughs> we just skip over the stuff we don't want to remember um but this was this is and was i guess a movie that like it's like the subsequent movie film uh i just like kind of don't really have any interest in um <laughs> i mean i'm sure it's fine and i'm sure maybe one day i'll watch it but right now not so much although it is i do yeah. i do uh admire and am very interested in uh baron cohen's uh stated goal to like take down uh big tech <laughs> and like the the uh the silicon valley I forget what the six or whatever they're called, like Facebook, right. and Google and all, Twitter and all those uh, companies that like basically just like, you know, destroy the world to make profit. Um, so like, <laughs> it's really interesting to see like Sasha Baron Cohen, like make this pivot into like hard radical sure. leftist um, politics. It, Maybe is it was crazy. always there and I was just too young to know it. Um, yeah. Uh, which I mean, and he had a show a couple years ago called who is America, which was really great. Right. And he would just disguise as people like infiltrating, you know, a lot of mostly right wing politicians or like people who were on, and like there was just so many like the interview that he did with Roy Moore, who was the, uh, the I think, senator or congressman who was running for reelection, who was a you know sex predator. Uh, yeah. And he like had an interview with him and he like talked with him for five minutes and he got like had this like little device. And it's like, oh, we have this like device in my country where it's like, you know, it, it, it can detect child molesters. And, you know, I'll wave it on myself. And obviously, since neither of us are child molesters. It won't go off. And then it goes it goes off on Roy Moore. <laughs> uh, and it's it's really great. It's very funny. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot of stuff like that in Who is America and Borat, too, kind of feels like it's of a piece with that in some ways. Like, there's some really incredible stuff. The way um, when he goes to the Mike Pence rally uh, and the voiceover is like, so how, how will I infiltrate this den of Republicans? And then he walks in in a full KKK uniform. Jesus. Uh, <laughs> gets through security like completely like just fine and like walks wow. right in it's it's wild and that that hard cut was like probably the hardest i laughed in the movie uh, <laughs> it, it, it is also like it's weird how it like follows the uh, sort of the Bill and Ted model where it's like, OK, it's Borat, but it's also about his daughter. Right. Uh, <laughs> uh, and it's it's sort of it's a much more heartwarming movie than uh, the Borat one is, too. There's a genuine like heart behind it, which I mean, Borat ends in a happy place. He like marries the uh, the prostitute or whatever that right. uh, that he meets in America. <laughs> uh, but this is about like the relationship between Borat and his daughter. And like it's about like her kind of discovering feminism in the U.S. and stuff like that. And she's like posing as a conservative news outlet. And there's like a thing where she's there. She actually like got into the White House press corps and like they tweeted this out on the Borat like Twitter account or whatever. Uh, and she got into the White House press corps and she's talking to like people from OAN and stuff like that. And wow. none of that, none of that is in the movie. Like it's like that was completely cut out from the actual film. Um, Interesting. But it's kind of crazy, like how much extra stuff is just like probably on the cutting room floor, uh, which that was kind of the case of the first one, too. So I'm sure there will be like scenes that kind of pop up you know, online and stuff mm -hmm. from this point forward. But, uh, but yeah. And also the, the girl who plays his daughter as 
maybe the best find of this year. Uh, Maria Bakalova is her name. Uh, and she is just as like fearless as Sasha Baron Cohen is. in some of this stuff, like there's some incredible stuff that she does in this movie that it's like, holy shit. Like, <laughs> I can't yeah. believe they found this girl who was willing to go through with like all this crazy stuff and like play it completely straight. Uh, so it's, it's really great. Uh, so I really enjoyed it. I don't think it's, maybe as fresh as the first one, like when that one came out, I think part of the problem is that again, I think some more people are in on the joke this time around, but also it's like, you know, when Borat came out and it was sort of like showing the, the seedy underbelly of the Bush administration or whatever, like mm-hmm. that's sort of what it was doing. It was showing the seedy underbelly in 2020. That underbelly is fully shown. Like you don't, you don't have yeah. to like, <laughs> you don't have to show it off. It's already there, you know? And so mm-hmm. I think this, this movie does lose a little bit of its punch just because of the current political era that it's in, I guess. Yeah, and I think, too, maybe, like, Borat 1, like, sort of has this, like, from what I remember, like, this, like, uh, kind of YouTube prank show feel. Yeah. But in 2006, that wasn't a thing, really. That didn't exist. But now, <laughs> like, culturally, we're 10 years past that being a thing. Like, in you know, 2009, yeah. YouTube happens, and people start making channels where they're just pranking on people. Uh, and maybe that doesn't hit as hard, I guess, is sort of what you're saying. Like, you know, that, that format maybe doesn't really. Yeah. I mean, there is some great stuff in there. Like, don't get me wrong. There's oh, yeah. Some really, there's some really funny stuff in Borat, too. But it's also a much more story driven movie than the first one is. Uh, uh, OK, interesting. So that's sort of what I'm saying. Like, even in, like, the prank stuff, they're working in, like, elements of dialogue for the plot and stuff. Some of that's, right. like, ADR and some of that. Like, it, it makes me like I would really love to see, like, a making of Borat, too, and seeing, like, how they film certain things. Like, did they film this scene first and then talk to this person and, like, you know, know that they had to work this thing into the conversation that they were having with this real person and Mm -hmm. you know all that stuff so uh yeah borat subsequent movie film i cannot believe this movie exists uh and it's out there now on amazon prime like it's it's wild that it it happens so uh there you go so that's uh, the sasha baron cohen double feature of uh (laughs) the trial of the chicago seven and borat subsequent movie film uh what else you been watching mike um i actually have uh, only one more thing uh oh man yeah, well, because we, we smash, smashed uh, Hill House and Hush together. <laughs> okay, uh, I guess I miscounted your things because uh, yes. I have a lot more. <laughs> to you go have through. a lot more. That's fine. Uh, yeah, the the next thing I have is a movie that actually you recommended. Uh, I forget a while ago, uh, mm-hmm. and that is the Ken Russell joint, uh, the Layer of the White Worm. Yes. Yeah, and this is uh, I think from 1988, and it stars Baby Hugh Grant and uh, <laughs> Baby Peter Capaldi. Yep. Uh, and the plot of this movie is like Peter Capaldi is like an archaeologist uh, and he's like digging on this farm or something in England and uh, he finds this like massive fossilized like serpent skull or something like that. Yeah. And then uh, he learns, you know, through the, the that the Lord of the region, the, the played by Hugh Grant, uh, his uh, great, 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 you know, his ancestor from Roman times or whatever the hell they track it back to. Um killed like this legendary the dampton worm like you know from <laughs> kind of like an arthurian mythical beast kind of thing yep. uh and ever since then that's been like the dampton claim to fame the lord's like the family name and he surmises uh, peter capaldi surmises that this is the skull of the dampton worm and then uh the mysterious uh like i think lady sylvia is her name uh returns to the area uh normally she's not there and, uh, mister, you know, spooky, weird uh, things start happening that maybe she is a uh, descendant of this Dampton worm. And it's pretty funny that that like mystery lasts maybe five minutes that she's in the movie. And then she uh, spits venom on a crucifix. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you're like, oh, OK. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, got it. Uh, yeah, and it just becomes this kind of like, you know, cat and mouse thing between uh, Lady Sylvia and and uh, Hugh Grant and Peter Capaldi and the, the, the two sisters that own the farm that he's uh, had his dig site on. And uh, yeah. Yeah, this just might be the the the, the Ken Russelliest of the Ken Russell movies. It's just like <laughs> wild with like hard cuts to like psychedelic visuals and stuff. Yeah. Like anytime someone touches this venom, they have like horrific visions of like what happened with the Dampton Worm in in history and stuff. So like all of a sudden, it's a guy on a crucifix wrapped in a white like you know being choked by a white like boa constrictor worm thing where it was just a bunch of nuns being raped by romans and the background is fire and yeah. you're just like what the fuck is going on <laughs> like, um but yeah i watched this with a friend who uh you know doesn't really watch these kind of movies and i just kind of told him like i mean i didn't really know anything about that this was going to happen like i knew i mean yeah. i'm kind of familiar with ken russell and that i've seen two of his movies and i know his reputation but i didn't really like warn him a whole lot i was just kind of like yeah i think this is going to be like kind of a more of a silly horror thing and it is like we definitely laughed a lot more than we were scared but like out of pure like how why are we like what is happening uh yeah kind of reaction like i said all of a sudden it's burning romans and raping nuns um and yeah this movie's an absolute blast it's so much fun and it it feels like it's kind of poking fun at that like genre of horror movie that like i don't don't know like it sort of felt like a sam raimi movie in some weird way it's a lot of like like you know to shaky twisty turny camera work and stuff and and it's just a big like there's an extended bit where um lady sylvia like picks up this like kid like this hitchhiker kid he's like needs a ride to the youth hostel or something and she like seduces him and is gonna eat him or whatever the hell she's gonna do yeah and uh he takes out a harmonica and starts playing and she like uncontrollably can't help herself has to dance uh to the to the harmonica music and me and my friend were like is he snake charming her right now and then it becomes a plot point that they can play snake charmer music and she can't help but dance and it's the funniest fucking thing so that's the layer of the white worm and it's an absolute blast uh i definitely recommend finding it places uh because it's worth it yeah definitely this was a uh, kind of a 3 a.m discovery for me uh, yeah. like uh, it was, it wasn't on TCM. It was like one of the movie channels. It was like encore or something or stars mm-hmm. or whatever. Uh, but yeah, I was like, just, you know, 2 AM, 3 AM, just flipping through the channels. And, uh, I saw this, I didn't even know the, I had never heard of the movie before. I don't think I even knew who Ken Russell was at the time. Um, but I saw, I looked at the info and I saw the title was the Lair of the white worm. And I was like, all right, I'm intrigued. <laughs> and then I saw that it starred Hugh Grant and Peter Capaldi. And it was from 1988. And I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> How does this exist? And so I watched it and, uh, yeah, it rules. <laughs> it's fucking great yeah it's just it is like peak ken russell just like so many like hard cuts to like blasphemous imagery <laughs> um, <laughs> which is a blast that's like kind of the appeal of ken russell you know yeah absolutely all right so that's the lair of the white worm and that's the last of the movies that you had to talk about right mike yes that's all the things all right so i've got a few more that i wanted to get through a couple of new releases uh first of which i have a f- uh, two remakes that both came out this weekend uh one on hbo max and one on netflix the first which uh the first witches the first of which <laughs> is the new movie from uh director robert zemeckis it's the adaptation of roald dahl's the witches starring anne hathaway uh, octavia spencer chris rock is the narrator of this movie amazing uh, <laughs> which is wild. Uh, and the witches has been adapted to film once before by Nicholas rogue in 1990. Uh, I've never seen the Nicholas rogue version. Have, have you seen the, the original witches, Mike? I have not, but I think it is on Netflix. It is on Netflix. Yeah. And I, and I kind of wanted to watch it before I saw the Zemeckis version, but I didn't have the, I didn't end up having the time. And so, you know, I was, uh, house sitting in my sister's, uh, my girlfriend's sister's house, 
uh, this past weekend and they have HBO Max. And I was like, well, all right, The Witches, mm-hmm. it's time. And I watched it. And really, I watched it because I'm a huge Zemeckis fan and I'll follow whatever he does, even when that stuff is insane and dumb. Uh, <laughs> and and there's a few moments like that in the Zemeckis filmography, most recently with Welcome to Marwin, uh, which was the movie that he made right before The Witches. And he was already working on The Witches by the time Marwin got released. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this was intended for theatrical release. It was supposed to be in theaters, just like a Trial of Chicago 7, also supposed to be in theaters, uh, both of which got uh, shunted off to uh, streaming services. This one got to HBO Max uh, because there's a Warner Brothers movie. And I think Warner Brothers is the one who is really doing the HBO Max stuff. And it's fun ish like it's okay uh it's i mean have you read the book the witches are you familiar with the story at all no i'm not but i do know i do know that this is one of those like nostalgia films like the witches in general like kind of like hocus pocus or something like that not not that it's like only good with nostalgia but like i know a lot of people saw this as a childhood thing and like like you know it means a lot to a lot of people. Sure. Uh, and it's kind of like one of those things like i saw uh people like everyone's mad that like the craft is getting remade and it's like, just get over it, man. People don't make movies for you. Like, fucking, like you know, don't be don't be grumpy that teenagers also get movies made for them. Uh, yeah. Is is the craft a remake? I thought it was a sequel, like the craft legacy or whatever it's called. Oh, I, I assumed it was a re- maybe it's one of those legacy sequel things. I don't okay, know. Maybe. I mean, the, the word legacy is in the title, so you might be right about that. <laughs> Look at that. Uh, yeah. So I had never seen the Nicholas Rogue version of the witches, and I thought I had read the book. Uh, when I was a kid, I, I went through a kick when I was like six or seven and read a bunch of Roald Dahl books. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it turns out I did not because I had no memory of the plot of the witches. Okay. Uh, I looked it up and it turns out I had read the twits uh, was the other <laughs> one. That, that <laughs> yes, I had read. Reasonable mistake. Yeah, similar, similar titles. By the way, just throwing it out there, if anybody ever wants to do a version of Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator, uh, highly recommend because that book's insane. Uh, I, don't <laughs> you, I don't know if you've ever read that, but that's the uh, the sequel that he made to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Uh, okay. Which, he wrote a book. Uh, it involves aliens. So throwing that out there. Wow. <laughs> uh, and it involves like, you know, adults turning into children and children turning into adults. It's it's not the sequel you would expect there to be for Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> yeah. I will say that. Roald Dahl was a weird author. Um, but so The Witches, you know, one of his kind of beloved books has been adapted once before. This is the new Robert Zemeckis movie. Uh, and it's got a really fun performance from Anne Hathaway. Uh, but the plot of the movie is that there are these witches as you might expect. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And there's this kid who encounters the witches. The witches turn him into a mouse. And okay. then he's and then he's a mouse for the rest of the movie. And he has to, you know, defeat the witches and turn them all into mice, basically. And him and like two other kids have been turned into mice. Uh, and they, you know, are trying to defeat the witches. And that's the plot of the movie. I'm going to spoil the end of this movie. It's also the end of the book. Oh, that's the I was going to ask that. Okay. Yeah, it's also the end of the book. And it's the end of this movie. I had to look up to see if the Nicholas Rogue version ends the same way. And it doesn't. It changes the ending of the Nicholas Rogue version. He yeah. stays a mouse at the end of the movie. Like they never they never change back into human form. This kid is a mouse for the rest of his life. And there's this really like weird scene at the end where he's talking to his uh, grandma, played by Octavia Spencer, and he's a mouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's like, so how long do mice typically live? And she's like, well, you know, mice typically live like throughout three years. But you're a magical mouse. So I could say like nine years, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and it's just like a dark, which fits in with the Roald Dahl stuff. Like he had a lot of dark stuff in there, but like, it's just one of those, like this movie plays like this very family friendly fantasy kind of thing. And it's just nuts that it has that ending. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so there's that. Uh, but you know, it's Zemeckis kind of playing around with a lot of special effects, which he likes to do. Uh, and there's some fun sequences and, and again, Anne Hathaway is like just 
full camp in the movie and she's a lot of fun to watch. Uh, there's like a recurring thing where like, all the witches have like scars like on their mouths, like kind of mm-hmm. like the Joker in the Dark Knight. So every time she like kind of smiles, her like smile extends across her entire face and it's pretty creepy and, nice. you know, all that stuff. So there's some fun stuff that it's doing there. Uh, Stanley Tucci's in this for a little bit. Uh, so it's got that going for it. Uh, but yeah, the witches. It's fun. Uh, lowercase f fun. Basically. Okay. It's a uh, at home streaming uh, Halloween release, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was supposed to be in theaters. And, you know, if I saw it in theaters, I'm sure I would probably have the exact same reaction. Uh, it's, I think it's a good kids movie. It's, it's a fun movie to have for kids. And, you know, it has that dark ending. But more kids movies should have dark endings these days. As far as yeah. I'm concerned, <laughs> we need more uh, kinder trauma, you know? Exactly. So uh, The Witches was uh, one of the big high profile remakes that came out this weekend. The other one was Rebecca. Uh, the new Ben Wheatley movie uh, on Netflix. Uh, and I actually watched the Hitchcock Rebecca a while back. Like that was about a month ago. And I talked about it on this podcast mm-hmm. uh, and talked about how it was one of the really few Hitchcock movies that I hadn't, or one of the few major Hitchcock movies that I hadn't really seen. And Rebecca has not been remade since. I think there was a TV like miniseries version of it in the nineties or whatever. Uh, but since in movie form, there has not been a new version of Rebecca, which is also based on a novel uh, from 1938. Uh, and the Hitchcock version very highly regarded one best picture in the year it came out and today considered one of Hitchcock's best movies. Uh, and I assumed that with Ben Wheatley making a new remake of Rebecca, I was like, Oh, this has got to be some kind of new take on the material, right? This has got to be like him doing something fresh and bold and exciting. This is Ben Wheatley. He made kill us and you know, the, the field in England and all that stuff, right? Like right. These, these movies that you really like and you know, some really cool, like, interesting stuff, even his less good stuff is still interesting. It's just the same movie as, as, <laughs> as no, he pulled the Van Zandt. No, yeah, he pulled the Van Zandt. It's like the Van Zandt psycho all over again. Uh, but it's Army Hammer in the Lawrence Olivier role and Lily James uh, as the uh, woman he marries. Uh, and Kristen Scott Thomas as Mrs. Danvers, who is taking over the uh, like the house. She's like the housekeeper and mm-hmm. stuff. And it follows the exact same plot. Like, I honestly, like as this movie was playing, I was watching it, like actually watching it for like maybe 45 minutes to an hour. And then I like started to be like, OK, these, these scenes are all basically exactly the same and the movie looks nice like it's a really well shot movie I mean, it might be the best shot movie i've seen this entire year so far <laughs> uh but it's just kind of boring it's it's the exact same thing as the hitchcock movie but without some of the flair that hitchcock brings to it uh or the performances from Lawrence olivier and all that stuff so it's just it, and you know i like army hammer and lily james they're great uh, especially lily james i think she's awesome uh but like everybody in this is just kind of like okay we're doing rebecca again and it's like great <laughs> uh so i i i really watched it for about like 45 minutes to an hour and then I was still watching it, but like I started looking at my phone and stuff and then I would look up and be like, oh, yeah, it's the same scene as the Hitchcock movie. And then look back down <laughs> uh, and then I started playing Super Smash Bros. My Nintendo Switch with a half hour movie to go <laughs> with wow. a half hour of the movie to go. For uh, you, that's unprecedented. Yeah, exactly. So and it was just one of those things where it's like, I feel like, like I've seen this already. Like, I, yeah. <laughs> I've seen this movie already uh, and it was better the first time I saw it. So, uh, yeah, Rebecca, it's whatever, man. Uh, <laughs> Super, Super Smash Bros, though. A plus. Yes. <laughs> Good what, times. What was the movie that just got announced that Ben Wheatley's doing the sequel to? Oh, The Meg 2. <laughs> right? What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, well, he's also signed on for uh, the Tomb Raider sequel, too. He's doing the, the new one with Alicia Vikander. Bizarre. Uh, such a weird... Like, I, I mean, good for him, I guess. He's getting paid. Like, yeah, hopefully he yeah, can, yeah. like, take that money and funnel a bunch of crazy passion projects or whatever. But, uh, yeah, that's... Uh, it, it's kind of a bummer to see, it. <laughs> to see it. I really thought he would do something interesting with Rebecca, and it, it didn't really uh, take for me, which was a bummer. But there you go. That's The Witches and Rebecca. And I also wanted to mention uh, one other recent release that came out... Uh, Back in June, 
Uh, this was also supposed to be uh, a theatrical release and then, you know, COVID happened. So it wasn't uh, it came out on video on demand and I caught it up with it uh, through my Netflix disc plan. Uh, <laughs> it's the new it's the new movie from Judd Apatow. It is the king of Staten Island. You OK? Yeah. What, what do you mean? Yeah. You're going to be OK without me here? But you don't think I could survive here without you? OK, just don't be a dick, OK? Like, be nice to mom, okay? Don't give her a hard time. She deserves a break. I always give her a break. When's, when am I gonna get my break? Like... What are you talking about? All anyone ever does is worry about you. I was ignored my entire childhood because of you. Oh yeah, I forgot that my childhood was so dandy. Okay, you don't get to act crazy your whole life just because dad died, okay? At least you got to know him. Well, you're lucky you didn't get to know him, okay? Because that's why you're almost normal. If you got to know him, you would have known that he was like the fucking coolest guy ever. And... That would have ruined the rest of your life. Okay, like, but what are you gonna do? Are you gonna get a job or are you gonna leave the house? I don't know. I, I'm gonna open that tattoo restaurant. No, like, for real. I am being real. It's a great, it's never been done before. I looked it up. I Googled it. It's never been done, not even as a joke. Because no one wants to go to a restaurant and watch people get tattooed while they eat. It's gross. It's the best idea ever. Ruby Tattoos Days, where everyone's welcome. Chicken and tattoos. Which is a semi-autobiographical movie starring Pete Davidson in the lead role. Your mileage may vary for this movie, depending on how much you like Pete Davidson. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, I'm somebody who generally does like Pete Davidson. Like, especially uh, like before he dated Ariana Grande, I felt like like he was actually one of the more interesting, like up and coming stars in SNL uh, for those first few years. And he was like the youngest guy to ever to cast in SNL and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it was huge, kind of a huge deal. Like he was the, uh, or. He, I don't know if he was the youngest guy to ever get cast in this nuts. I think Eddie Murphy got cast when he was like 19. But Pete Davidson was the first guy who was younger than me to be cast in SNL. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I think that's what it was. Like, I remember hearing that he got cast in SNL as a featured player. And I'm somebody who follows SNL pretty closely. Yeah, I remember when he got cast and I was like, I looked him up and he was like, oh, I'm a year older than this guy. Fuck. <laughs> yeah. I hate him. <laughs> um, but then like he can't like first episode of SNL, he came out a weekend update and he killed it. He was like really funny. Uh, and you know, he's had his ups and downs. He struggled with addiction and that kind of thing over the years. And, you know, then he dated Ariana Grande and I feel like he sort of got picked up by the tabloids and became like sort of a celebrity for being a celebrity kind of thing. Like even yeah. just outside of the SNL thing, uh, and sort of lost his essence a little bit. Uh, and then it seems like that's all slowed down since then. And he's kind of just gotten back to doing SNL and doing the show and he's cleaned up and all that stuff. So good for him. Uh, I, I did enjoy the King of Staten Island. I think this is a good movie. Judd Apatow is a director who I'm generally pretty into, uh, so that helps. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, but he hasn't really made like a really good movie. I think since Funny People, uh, which I love. Uh, that's a device. Wow, spicy. That's a, that's a divisive opinion, I know. But Funny People Rules, I think it's Judd Apatow's best movie. Uh, but, nice. but like since then, I mean, he made This is 40 and Trainwreck. And both of those, I mean, Trainwreck's pretty good. Uh, this is 40 is fine. Like this feels like his strongest since Funny People. It's It's been interesting to see his career because he's, you know, did straight comedies with like 40-year-old version and knocked up. But they were comedies that had like a dramatic heart at their center. Like they always had like this emotional beat to them. And then he kind of just dev- like not devolved, but he like progressed in doing like dramedy type stuff or like he really wants to make like James L. Brooks movies and that kind right. of thing. And so uh, that's kind of what he was doing with funny people and then kind of progressively more into that kind of stuff. And then train wreck is like, he was doing like biographical movies for a little bit of himself with like funny people. And this is 40. And then now with like train wreck King of Staten Island, he's like taking like young comic talent 
and like kind of building a movie around them, which is kind of cool to see. Yeah. Uh, so we took, so we had Amy Schumer and Trainwreck, and now he's got Pete Davidson with this movie. If you follow Pete Davidson at all, you might know that his dad was a firefighter who died in 9-11. Uh, and so that's incorporated into the plot of this movie. He's not playing Pete Davidson. He's playing mm-hmm. a guy named Scott who's like, he doesn't want to be a comedian, wants to be a tattoo artist and that kind of thing. Uh, but there's parallels to Pete Davidson's own life. Uh, and it's about that. Uh, and it's just sort of a coming of age story about him being on Staten Island and uh, growing up, learning to live a little bit. You know, he's just like a stoner in his mom's basement who uh, kind of starts to move beyond that a little bit. Uh, and so I, I liked it. I, th- I thought it was pretty good, pretty funny. Like most Apatow movies way too long uh, it's you know it's like two hours and 15 minutes or whatever and it's like okay this seems like it's a little excessive but i did enjoy it there's no scene that i thought was like actively bad so i'm not gonna like ask him to trim or whatever yeah. uh but it, bill burr is like the firefighter whose mom starts dating his mom's with marissa tomei uh so there's a really solid cast uh surrounding pete davidson in this movie and a lot of like cool younger comics like uh, pete davidson's friends too uh so yeah king staten island i would recommend it i think it's pretty good nice yeah this is one that uh I guess I didn't really have any interest in either. I think uh, I think kind of like the your tolerance for Pete Davidson. Uh, yeah. Mileage may vary kind of thing. He's someone that like I like when he's on the two minute uh, weekend update shtick. Uh, yeah. But like that's enough, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I did. Uh, I remember like it was like a, a year after he was on SNL. He had his own Comedy Central special. Like it was like a one hour Santa special. And I watched it uh, and I don't remember that much about it. But I remember him talking about his dad in the special and like kind of making jokes about it and stuff like that. But I also, for whatever reason, really remember there was like this one bit where he starts talking about the one guy in Jaws uh, who... <laughs> <laughs> or he starts talking about how like people talk in older movies and he's using and he's using Jaws as an example and he's like imitating the mayor and he's like I'm not gonna let that little kittener boy spill out all over the docks yeah <laughs> uh, and there's like the one guy is like a tiger shark what like that kind of thing. Uh, so like that was saying that that was geared like specifically towards my interest so maybe I've always had like yeah <laughs> I've always had a soft spot for Pete Davidson since then but uh, but yeah that's the king of Staten Island uh, I liked it definitely uh, worth checking out and then wanted to quickly mention uh, the last couple of movies for Centerfield Cinema uh, getting pretty cold out there mm-hmm. <laughs> um, especially in Montana we had our first snowstorm this weekend Oof. Uh, six uh, something like six or seven inches here in Missoula wow so, like uh, an actual yeah. legit snowstorm oh yeah yeah actual snowstorm the roads are, the the snowstorm happened on like Friday and Saturday. It's Monday now. The roads are still icy and like bad and dry wow. out and stuff like that. Uh, but so Centerfield Cinema happened last couple of weeks. Uh, Ghostbusters was the movie two weeks ago, uh, which I had seen earlier this year at a drive in, but still went to go see it. And uh, yeah, a lot of fun. Ghostbusters. It's great. And then Beetlejuice uh, this past weekend or this past week, uh, which I hadn't seen in a long time. Uh, but I loved when I was a kid and was a big fan of that movie. And uh, the Deo banana boat scene is still the best scene ever filmed in cinema history. I mean, it's good. It's great. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. They still made movies after that, you know? I know exactly. <laughs> Michael, Michael Keaton's great as Beetlejuice. Uh, Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis are great. And Catherine O'Hara is great. A lot of great people just kind of popping up in this movie. And also Jeffrey Jones is a bad person. Uh, but, <laughs> but, but yeah, so there's Ghostbusters and Beetlejuice. Those are the last couple of Centerfield cinema movies. There's only one left this week is the last Centerfield cinema. Uh, and it's Scream. Uh, nice. for the Halloween week. So that should be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, but I'm also looking forward to uh, being home in the warm comfort of my house uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> for, for the foreseeable future. Like it's, it's been interesting to watch like the audience, like slowly decline over time yeah. <laughs> as the weeks have gone on for Beetlejuice. There was maybe an audience like 50, which it used to be like selling out the baseball stadium every year, right. <laughs> which, you know, it was socially distanced selling out. So it was really like a few hundred people, but like now it's just like, you know, 
50 people and, and they're all socially distanced squares and like the, there used to be huge applause at like various scenes and now it's just like me going like woo and <laughs> that's basically it <laughs> it's it's just uh roxy people left now yeah pretty much i actually got a thank you note from the roxy uh in the mail the other day uh for buying tickets to every uh roxy garden uh event wow. that they've had this year <laughs> uh which speaking of roxy garden uh there were two screenings that i was supposed to go to over the last couple of weeks they were both canceled because of the weather what we do in the shadows is the uh, the first one, which uh, I had seen years ago and hadn't watched in a while. So, uh, yeah, I I did rewatch these movies like once they were canceled, at the Roxy Garden, I went home and I watched them mm-hmm. <laughs> because what we do in the shadows, I was able to find on Hoopla. Uh, I was able to rent it through there. And then, uh, I, you know, still funny movie, you know, it's Takeaway TT kind of this breakout movie. Yeah. Um, after this, he did Hunt for the Wilder People and Thor Ragnarok and all that stuff. But uh, yeah, what we do in the shadow is great vampire comedy has an FX series on TV right now, which I have not watched, but I've heard very good things about. Uh, and then the week after what we do in the shadows this past weekend was supposed to be the thing at the Roxy Garden, uh, which I was very much looking forward to. And as the snowstorm started to approach, the Roxy was saying, like, we're going to try to do it. We're going to see what happens. And then like day of they were like, yeah, it can't happen, <laughs> which would which sucks, because I think it would have been an incredibly immersive experience to watch the thing in the middle of a snowstorm. That would have been amazing. Be fucking awesome. <laughs> I would like I, I would have been super into it. My girlfriend would have been miserable. Yeah, <laughs> but, but it still would have been a lot of fun. But I did watch the thing uh, at home. And uh, yeah, the movie still rips. Still great. Uh, okay. One of the best horror movies ever. Uh, some of the best special effects ever put to film and all that stuff. So uh, those are the Centerfield Cinema and Roxy Garden movies. And then next time we do discussions, I'll tell you about Scream and I'll tell you about the last Roxy Garden movie, too, which is going to be Halloween. Uh, so nice. definitely. Looking forward to that this weekend. Uh, but all right. So that wraps up our discussions for today, Mike. And before we get out of here, we got to give us our we got to give our picks for next week for Mike Makes Mike Watch. That's right. We got homework. Yes, we do. All right. So next week we're going to do Mike Makes Mike Watch, which if you're not familiar is when I make Mike watch something. He makes me watch something. It's really all there in the title. It's pretty mm-hmm. easy. To, <laughs> it's pretty easy to explain. Uh, so Mike picked three movies for me to choose from for the movie he's going to make me watch. And I did the same. So, Mike, what are your choices from Mike Makes Mike Watch? Uh, so my choices are for you. Uh, the first one, I wasn't really sure. Like I had two and I was like, I need a third. I'm not sure. Let me let me go to Criterion Channel and just see what's on the home page, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, newly added, I think, today uh, is the documentary Dear Zachary, which I talked about once before. And it was there on the homepage and I was like, I want to make Mike sad. And I picked Dear Zachary. (laughs) Uh, So there you go. I think I forget what the subtitle to that is. A a letter to a son about his dad or something like that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. 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 I've never seen Dear Zachary, but I remember you talking about it. And it's one that I I do want to watch at some point. Mm -hmm. I I don't Uh, know if I'll choose it this time. I I mean, and I won't blame you. It was just literally that it was on the homepage of the Criterion channel. And I wanted to make you cry because, yeah, sometimes you need it. You know, Mike? Sure. Definitely. Uh, Maybe just a PSA to the listeners out there that have a Criterion channel. If you need to cry, Dear Zachary is on there. <laughs> It'll do it. <laughs> It'll do it for sure. Uh, and then my next pick, uh, one became a recurring joke on uh, a recurring bit, maybe on uh, Golden Pod. And that's Ghost. It's available All to right. watch on Hulu. Yeah. And uh, I, I revealed that I had not seen Ghost uh, yeah. So, yeah, now this would be the good time to make that happen for sure. Yeah, for, to, to uh, continue our uh, sub uh, sub podcast of the uh, Vincent Chiavelli complete works because he's in uh, <laughs> Ghost. <laughs> so you can go ahead and right. watch that. Or maybe you could watch uh, the Matthew McConaughey, uh, Bill Paxton thriller Frailty, which is available to watch on Prime right now. Hmm. Okay. So my choices are Dear Zachary frailty and ghosts yes uh okay i'm gonna think about this for a minute 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but for me, the choices that I had for you, Mike, uh, you know, a few weeks ago or a few months ago, I, think, I guess at this point, uh, I had you watch Cloud Atlas for Mike Makes Mike Watch, yes. uh, which is one of my favorite movies ever. Of course, the Wachowskis. Uh, before Cloud Atlas, the Wachowskis made another movie, which you have not seen. Uh, and I have to tell you to watch bitch. forever. <laughs> and that is a uh, Speed Racer. I <laughs> uh, So I'm throwing Speed Racer in there, which is great. Highly recommend. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to try to sway your opinion in one way or the other, but yes. that's a great movie. Uh, also, uh, I'm pretty sure you haven't seen this one. I feel like you've mentioned that you haven't seen this. So I'm throwing it in there, too. Uh, you know how I'm a big anime guy now. Big, I do. Mike, Mike's big into anime in a big way, sort yeah. of. I've watched a few Ghibli movies. Anime and video t- games. Mike Smith. <laughs> exactly. That's the year 2020 for me. Uh, well, Makoto Shinkei has been one of the, uh, the big voices in anime over the last couple of years. And uh, Your Name is the, uh, is the movie that I'm choosing for you, Mike. Interesting. Uh, which was... A breakthrough anime movie, like kind of even played in the U.S. and like was a big hit here. Uh, and you have not seen that, right? Correct. Yeah, I haven't gotten around to it, even though I think on your 2016 best of or whatever year that came out, <laughs> I think it made that list, right? Your top 10. It did. Yeah, yeah, this was a movie that I caught up with like right before the end of the year that year. And I was so glad I did because I was like, holy shit. Uh, I-, I couldn't believe how much I liked it because, I, I, as you know, I'm not that like I say I'm a big anime guy. I'm not. I'm, not, <laughs> I'm, really, I'm really, really nuts. Uh, like, and your name really like broke through that barrier for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was able to really enjoy it. So, uh, yeah, I'm throwing that one in there. And then finally, uh, a new release from this past year, uh, which is on Hulu. And uh, I don't believe you've watched it yet. Uh, it's uh, from director Max Barbacow in his first film uh, starring Andy Samberg and Kristen Milioti. It is Palm Springs. Yes, I have not. I have not seen it. Uh, OK, yeah, I, I think you would like it. It's a fun comedy Groundhog Day esque movie. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, worth checking out. So uh, to recap, minor Speed Racer, Your Name and Palm Springs and yours were Dear Zachary, Ghost and Frailty. Yes. Uh, so I'm trying to think of what my my pick for uh, out, of the, out of your three would be. And I think Dear Zachary's out. because yeah. I, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I'm sure it's great. I want to watch it at some point, but I'm not in the emotional state to watch that right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the other two. Ghost is one that I feel like I should have seen by now. Uh, and so part of me wants to go with that. But we've been talking a lot about a lot of Bill Paxton movies lately. Mm-hmm. And I also feel like we should talk about frailty. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm really I'm really conflicted about which one I should go with, Mike. I, uh, I don't mean to. I don't want to sway the same thing you said. I don't want to put your finger up my finger on the scale uh, in any way. But. Ghost could also be a good uh, girlfriend movie, you know? Mm, yeah, that's a good point. I, <laughs> actually, I think I believe she has seen it because she was shocked that I hadn't seen okay. it. Uh, and she is a big fan and she's a big Patrick Swayze fan because Dirty Dancing and stuff. Right. Uh, so, yeah. OK, I think that does tip the needle a little bit because she'll actually watch that one with me. Uh, <laughs> and that, OK, so I'm going with Ghost. Ghost all is right. the movie that I'm watching. Uh, all right. And what's your pick, Mike, out of my three? Speed Racer, Your Name or Palm Springs? Oh, this is tough. Um, I am interested in speed racer a lot uh yeah palm springs is one that i kind of wanted to watch a little bit and it was like it's a kind of i would have watched it by now like as i'm thinking about it like yeah if i really wanted to watch it i feel like i would have watched it because you know new release there's a lot of a lot of uh, buzz around that at the beginning sure. of quarantine and stuff so i think i'm gonna go with your name though Okay, man. Yeah. All right. Uh, I kind of expect you to go Speed Racer, so your name is a pleasant surprise. Uh, I, what, I'll, I'll bring back Speed Racer one of these days. Yeah, I mean, Speed Racer is more, like, in line uh, with the way these movies have, these picks have gone, I think. Yeah. Um, but I want something a little different. Branch out a little okay. bit. Okay. I, I do think of the three, your name is probably the best of these three movies. Uh, I would hope so. so. 
yeah, it, it is great. I think you're going to really dig it. Uh, I'm not sure where it's available to watch right now. It might be available on like Crunchyroll because that's where all anime is. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll see what I can do. And I guess as a backup, if I can't find it, uh, I'll do Speed Racer. OK, fair enough. I mean, I'm sure you can find it. It's probably like it's a pretty big movie. And yeah, I'm sure it's available. probably except, like I'm sure you can rent it even for at Amazon for like three bucks or whatever. But like, yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. So next week, Mike makes Mike watch going to be Ghost, which I've never seen. One of the, uh, <laughs> the biggest movies of 1990. I think it is the biggest movie of 1990, like the highest grossing movie of that year. I think so. Uh, which if you follow Goldblum Pod, that makes sense. It was in the, uh, the top 10 of the box office for a long, long time. Yeah. <laughs> We had we had we covered four Goldblum movies in 1990, and I think Ghost was in all four of those uh, box so. offices, yeah. <laughs> which is pretty wild. Uh, and Your Name is the other movie that we'll be talking about next week. Uh, man, I, if I have the time to watch to rewatch Your Name, I'll try uh, yeah. because because I haven't seen it since it came out, but I really loved it. But I want to like refresh my memory of like certain stuff that happens. And mm-hmm. uh, but there's some wild stuff that happens in Your Name. It's great. Amazing. Uh, all right, so that's what we're going to be doing next week. Ghost and your name. That's going to be our Mike Makes Mike Watch. And that brings us to the end of this week's episode. So, Mike, where can we find you online this week? You can find me at MD Film Blog on Twitter and Letterboxd. And you can find me online at uh, M Smith Film Blog on Twitter, Mike Smith Film on Letterboxd, and Radio Mike Sandwich on Instagram. Uh, thanks so much for listening to Mike and Mike Go to the Movies. I'm Mike Smith. That's Mike DeCrecio. Uh, don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast app. And if you want to contact us, you can hit us up at Mike and Mike Go to the Movies at gmail.com. You can find the rest of our podcast on Rapture Press alongside the totally original Geek News Podcast which is a podcast about all kinds of comic books, movie news, and all that good stuff. Uh, So for our next episode, we'll be back to doing Mike Makes Mike Watch, Ghost, and Your Name. In the meantime, our Jeff Goldblum podcast is weekly. We just released your episode on Deep Cover, which uh, we went long on that movie. We were big fans. Uh, And next week, we're talking The Favor, The Watch, and The Very Big Fish. Three (laughs) things that just... Go well together. It's great. Uh, (laughs) Can't wait for Bob Hoskins, Jeff Goldblum. Yes, that's going to be a really fun combo. Uh, And that's the end of this week's episode of Michael Mago the Movies. We'll see you on the other side. 